Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And this is our text for today. Actually, we're going to be looking at several passages in that 13th chapter. But for today, uh, we want to get focused in on verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so today our thought is, it has been, is now, and will always be all about him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, as we celebrate another very important All About Him Sunday, let us reflect for a moment on just what All About Him really means. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, what is this church celebrating All About Him? Shouldn't every Sunday be All About Him? Uh, you know, and by the nature of those words, all about him, there is an inherent assurance that this, what we're doing today, gathered in this place, is all about him and not about us. By nature, we are, even though we won't admit it, by nature, we're selfish creatures. Of course, some of us more than others, but even on our best behavior, there is always the looming possibility that we will think of ourselves before we think of others. In our focus today, we encourage you to lay aside any thoughts of self and focus your attention squarely upon Christ. Now, if you ask me, should, should that be the dynamic with which we worship every Sunday? I would answer emphatically yes. Of course, in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, every Sunday should be all about him. But let us take a moment and explore why that is not so. Again, as we do that, we look to our human frailties, our human nature, and to our sometimes faulty theological presuppositions. As humans, even as we worship our God, we are easily consumed with the dynamics of our own lives, whether good or bad. We are even distracted by those same dynamics in other people's lives as we participate in worship of our Lord together. Here are a few examples of why we worship or why worship is sometimes not all about him. One thing we do is we focus on who is here and who isn't. Amen. We start looking around the room and, oh, well, so-and-so's not here today. That person's not here. Oh, there's a few empty seats over there. Second reason is we are distracted by the attire of others and even sometimes ourselves. You know, when you wear something new, <laughs> your attitude is a little different. <laughs> you know, you walk in and you want people to notice. I wonder they know just how much I paid for this. I just, so we get distracted. 
Another thing happens is our life burdens occupy our minds. We start thinking about the weight of things in our lives and that occupies our minds. Another thing is we look to provide performance over purpose. You know, we're not here to perform for the Lord. We're here to worship him. And I'm not talking about just the, the, the singers. I'm talking about as we sit in the auditorium, we're not here to perform for God. Let me mess you up for a minute. Do you really think God is flattered by our performance? We're talking about a God that has angels, cherubim and seraphim, flying around his throne every second of every day saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then because we happen to nod our head or stand up and make people feel that look at me. I'm, and, and, and listen, I'm all for genuine, genuine expression. Don't get me wrong. I believe in that. But we're not here to perform for the Lord. Sometimes we come here for entertainment rather than engagement. We should be engaging in worship. The other thing is we major in the minor and minor in the major. I mean, there are just some things that are just little and shouldn't matter. You know, I, I told my wife when I sat down, I said, honey, I, I, I had a, I, found I, got, I think I got a little tear in my pants this morning. And not, not in any important place, but uh, <laughs> down the side a little bit. And, 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 and you know, of course, you know, I, she sufficiently told me why <laughs> that I had to... <laughs> But, uh, but nonetheless, that's minor. That's minor. As long as the pants stay where they're supposed to be, that's good. All right. <laughs> then sometimes, you know, we, we get distracted because we consider ourselves ahead of our brothers and sisters. I mean, imagine what it would be if everybody came into worship on a Sunday and you just said, I'm going to think more about other people today and making sure that I can do whatever I can to help my brother and sister worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. What a time we would have. So I can go on and on with the reasons of why worship uh, uh, that, that should always be all about him is not really all about him. So do not be dismayed. If you didn't find your distraction in this list, be encouraged to know that your worship and your life should always be all about him. Your worship and your life. Why? Why should my worship and my life be inextricably bound together? Why should they be sewn together? It is because simply because how we live as Christian exiles in a world gone mad is in and of itself an act of worship. If you think worship should only happen when you get in here, we need to have a conversation. Make an appointment with Katrina and I'll see you. Because worship is not just what you do in the sanctuary on Sunday, but worship is how you live every day of your life. Yeah. Apostle Paul writes this to the Romans. 
In chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, look at that, to present your bodies, to give yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, that's an that's a oxymoron. Living and sacrifice don't seem to go together. Because if you think of the sacrificial system, something always had to die, right? The lamb was sacrificed. But Paul says, be a living sacrifice. He clarifies that a little later on in Corinthians where he says, for your sake, we're dying every day. Talking about the Lord. So you are a living sacrifice, giving up yourself as if you were dying for God. I wish I had somebody here today. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, look at that, your spiritual worship. So what you are doing in your life is a, is a designation of how you worship. Now, I could preach a whole year on that, but uh, I won't today. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, the word conformed there means do not be shaped. Think of clay. Remember Play-Doh? You can make anything you want out of Play-Doh. That's for the old folks in here, amen? So you could, you could do anything. So do not be shaped by the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Watch this now. That by testing you may discern, by testing you may discern what is the will of God. I'm going to throw this in for free today. Many of us, many of us question, how do I know what's God's will for me? And I'm going to come back to you are you being a living sacrifice? Are you presenting yourself to him? Are you being shaped by the world? Because if you're being conformed by the world and not transformed by the renewing of your mind in Jesus Christ, you will not know what God's will is for your life. But you'll know it when you decide to be transformed, when you give yourself over to him so that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So your life is always worshiping. My life is always worshiping someone or something. The key to a life pleasing to God is that our lives be an act of worship that is in effect all about him. Life for a believer is always supposed to be all about him. Wish I had two or three people that believe that today. So each year, as when we enter into the new fall season of ministry, we pause here at Bethel Church to adjust the lens of our church and our lives. Like the old projector in middle school, our modern and busy and complicated lives can easily lose focus. Just throw your hand up real fast if you lost focus before, amen? Amen. It can easily lose focus. After a summer of fun in the sun, more fun, and even more fun, <laughs> it is time for us to refocus our hearts and our minds on that which is really important. The fact that we serve a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In times like these, we really need to live our lives 
all about him. And as we turn our attention to our text this morning, it is important for us to consider not only why our, our lives must be all about him, but how we can live our lives all about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews knew all too well the supremacy of Jesus Christ in creation and in all of human existence. In several instances in the book of Hebrews, we see the reflected salient point that God's word is truly all about Jesus. Here's something that you may not know. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, the ESV, which I read from today, the name Jesus appears 15 times in the book of Hebrews. Now, interestingly enough, the title Christ appears 15 times in the book of Hebrews. So you have the writer of Hebrews, maybe done by the power of the Holy Spirit, 15 times the name Jesus, 15 times his title Christ. Maybe I'm the only one thought that was interesting, but, <laughs> but just, just, just to see how this is truly all about him. Here's some examples of where we see Jesus in Hebrews. In, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that the grace of God, uh, he, so by, the, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? Hebrews 4 and 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 7, 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise the Lord. Now here's some examples of where we see the title. We see the name Jesus. Now we see the title Christ, Hebrews 3 and 6. But Christ meaning the anointed one, is faithful over God's house as a son. Now, here's the thing. In a family, your son ought to watch your house better than a stranger. Amen? I say that to all children today. You ought to watch mom and daddy's house better than some stranger. If you know the mama don't want nobody with their feet on the furniture, don't let your friends come over there and put their feet on your mama's furniture just because mama's not there. Amen. Have your friends drink up all the Kool-Aid and you don't make any new. What's wrong with you? Watch the house. Amen. Amen. That's why parents still trying to put kids out. I'm just, no. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so 
he's faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Hebrews 5 and 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He didn't say, I want to be made the high priest. He said, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today, I've begotten you. Hebrews 8 and 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises hebrews 9 11, 14 and 28 but when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and the more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, we walking through Hebrews this morning. Last one, Hebrews 10, 5, 10, and 12 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have been have you prepared for me and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all and verse 12 says but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin he sat down at the right hand of god amen so you can so as you can see The book of Hebrews, like all of Scripture, is truly all about him. But let us focus on the author's writing in Hebrews 13, 7 through 9, and we'll look at verse 15. And and that's the context for verse verse 8. At first glance, brothers and sisters, verse 8 does not seem to belong in this context, it doesn't seem to belong in this passage, but we will see that verse 8 serves as a perfect segue between verse 7 and verse 9. And I always want you to know the word in context because it's dangerous to just pull things out and you don't get the context. You can mess that thing up. Amen. Amen. So in Hebrews 13 and 7, we read this. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the seventh verse of this 13th chapter opens a new discourse by the author of Hebrews with the command, remember your leaders. The author here references former leaders who have died. So that kind of leaves me out of that number. It does. Since far as I know, I'm currently alive. (laughs) And I say that because oftentimes this passage is used to, to talk about blessing your pastor. I'm going somewhere with this. 
I'm not going to ever tell you don't bless your pastor. I'm open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for blessing from the Lord and from you. Amen. But I'm not using this text, which is talking about leaders who have passed away. Remember your leaders who've died is really what it's saying. So, so the word for leader here means those who lead or guide in a supervisory capacity. Someone entrusted with the responsibility of leadership. The author describes the work of these leaders as those who, quote, spoke the word of God to you, end quote. This means those whose preaching was evangelistic and those whose preaching of the word edified the church. The author called them to remember their work regarding the word of God. The emphasis on the importance is on the importance of the word of God. The emphasis should not be ignored in this passage. The leaders were worthy of remembrance because of the word of God they declared and not because they were sinlessly perfect or they had some type of sinless perfection. It was because they declared the unadulterated word of God. And when my time comes to lay in a casket, I hope somebody remembers that Raymond Dix declared the word of God. So this, these leaders were worthy because of the word. However, it is as important to note what the author says next regarding their lives. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The author commands us to consider or to look closely at the manner by which these leaders lived. How they lived, taken in its entirety, is worthy of deep reflection as we navigate our lives. As we reflect on saints before us who by their manner of life exhibited extraordinary faith, noteworthy perseverance, and exemplary love. Let us consider the call of the author here to imitate these attributes of their lives. Now, understand this. He's not calling for us to speak like them. He's not calling for us to pray using the same voice inflection as they used. He's not calling for us to even preach like them. But it is more a call to walk in the principles set forth by the gospel in the same manner in which they did. We are to imitate the life of faith they lived. We have far too many Christian leaders and preachers that want to stand and sound like somebody else. Now, every preacher has a little bit of his father in the ministry uh, in him. I have a little bit of my father in the ministry in me. But over time, I thank God that God opened my heart to develop who I am as a preacher and not try to sound like somebody else. 
And so we are to imitate the faith that they live. This brings us to verse 8 in what appears to be an insertion by the author. But there's an important contextual reason for verse 8. Verse 8 is a transitional verse connecting the call to imitate the faith of good leaders to an exhortation in verse 9. If you read it on your own, verse 9 talks about shunning false teaching. So on the one hand, you have the good leaders who are in verse 8, and then in verse 9, you got these people that are false teachers. Well, verse 8 is serving as a transition. And the author uses something known as the immutability of Jesus Christ to connect these two important theological concepts. What that means is you should always remember those saints that have gone on before and imitate their faith, but you also should always be on guard for false teaching. And verse 8 gives you the reason. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he uses this concept of immutability. Everybody say that word, immutability. Yeah, it's, it's a big word. It's a big word, immutability. But what is meant by immutability? As a theological construct, immutability is not a word that we use in our everyday Christian vernacular. I've heard many testimonies over the years, but rarely, if at all, have I heard someone stand and say, praise God for the immutability of Jesus Christ. You know, you didn't have a little old sister in church stand up and say, I'd like to thank and praise God for an immutable Savior. But, even though this may be the case, the concept of an immutable Christ is something every believer has either expressed and or come to rely on in our daily walk. What they did say is that I thank God that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the word immutable, which is the root word for immutability, means not capable or susceptible to change. This word describes someone or something that cannot be anything more or less than it already is. Amen? It is a hard term for the human mind to comprehend because even our best examples of the true meaning of this word fall short of achieving the true definition. For example, student might say, my teacher is immutable when it comes to homework. <laughs> they never change. It's always a lot of homework. No doubt, that's an exaggeration. We might say, the Rocky Mountains are immutable. Nothing can move the majestic Rocky Mountains. Well, what about an earthquake? Right? Well, here's one of my personal favorites. I will never change my mind on this. Throw your hand up real fast if you ever said that and change your mind later. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're not going to get me to change my mind until the circumstances force you to do so. Even on our best day, 
we may not be immutable or unchanging regarding even our faith and trust in God. Can you honestly sit here today and say that your faith has never wavered? Can you say that there hasn't been one moment, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning, maybe right before this message, where your faith began to waver just a little bit? So we are not immutable. Immutable is hard. Immutability is hard for us to comprehend. Yet this is exactly what the author is talking about in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The author knows that earthly leaders in verse 7 come and go. They live and they die. That is change. But Jesus Christ does not change. He is not subject to sickness or death. He is unaffected by anything that would prohibit him from providing leadership, counsel, encouragement. When I get to yours, say something. Strength and whatever else his people may need. He does not change. So here's your tweet for this morning. Get your Twitter ready. Here's your tweet for this morning. I want you to tweet out hashtag I change, Christ does not. I want everybody to understand that today. Post that on your Facebook page. I change, but Christ does not. Or Christ does not. I change, Christ does not. He's always the same. I change all the time. I get older. Wider, smaller, angry, happy, sad, joyful, tired, weak, hungry. When I get to yours, just say something. Hot, cold, lighter, darker, doubting, and faithful. I change all the time. Every husband ought to tell his wife, (laughs) I change. We change. Christ does not. He is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. My grandmother used to say this. She used to say, Jesus keeps on getting better every day. Anybody have a grandma like that? Does that mean that somehow she thought Jesus was evolving into a better God? Indeed not. On the contrary, she and many of those old saints, when they sang songs like, He is sweeter every day, meant that as they walk closer to Him, they saw much more of His sameness. Oh, hallelujah. Your house might not change. It looks one way from a distance. But as I get closer. Oh, come on here, somebody. Jesus looks one way from a distance. But as I get closer, he looks better and better and sweeter and sweeter to me. He's always been the same. It was me that needed to get closer. 
I needed a better view of him. And so they, they understood. They understood his unchanged nature. And that beca- as that became clear, their perception became sweeter. So why, why then is the immutability or the unchanging nature of Jesus so important? In verse 9, the author says this, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. <laughs> That means if you're devoted to eating, <laughs> how's that working out for you? I was devoted to apple dumplings at one time in my life, and, and I began to swell up a little bit. <laughs> now we see, though, the importance of verse 8 in its context. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can remember and imitate the faith of past leaders without being led astray by leaders who promote strange teaching. Because Jesus is the same, his grace is all we need to strengthen our hearts as exiles in this world. Now I want to leave you with these three things. Because there are three important reasons the chronological immutability or unchanging nature is important. What I mean by that is yesterday, today, and forever, chronological. Here's the first reason. Jesus, the same in the past, shapes our present and future. Jesus, the same in the past, shapes or molds our present and our future. The fact that Jesus has in the past been immutable and unchanging means that I and you can depend on him to shape our present and our future. We no longer have to look to the instability of our own past to determine our present or set plans for the future. That's big, y'all. That's big. Because Jesus is the same in times past. His authority is worthy to shape my life right now. Get that? No one in the past who trusted Christ was ever disappointed. From those who experienced miraculous healing to those who suffered martyrdom, Christ never disappointed by being anything less than the same. His nature never changed. For the early believers who knew that because he had always been the same, they could trust what he said. The early church depended on the past sameness of Christ. When we apply for a job, we often give something called our resume. Is that right? Your resume is a record of your history, your work history in particular. Maybe the history of service you have in your community. But you give a resume. My resume does not say that I'm always the same. And thank God. (laughs) Because when we look at the resume of Jesus, his history says that he's always the same. He was the same when he said, before Abraham was, I am. As he was when he was born in a little town 
called Bethlehem. He was the same when he ate with sinners as he was when he taught in the synagogue. He was the same when he raised Lazarus as he was when he cleared the temple of those who were misusing its purpose. He was the same when he gathered little children unto him as he was when he stood accused before Pilate. He was the same when he forgave the woman caught in adultery as he was when he spoke a word of salvation into the dying thief next to him on the cross. He has always been God, always been the Son, and always been Jesus. He was always a Savior. Somebody ought to give God some praise right there. So, so, so watch this now. What does this mean? So instead of looking behind to my past mistakes and failures, trying to figure out what I can change, I can now look instead to the historical sameness and immutability of my Lord and just emulate and imitate him. Stop going back in your history. Look. It's history. Ain't nothing back there you're going to change. Huh? I mean, you can, you, we go back in our history. Well, let me look back over my life and see what I can change. Listen, let me tell you what. You can't change nothing that already happened. You want to do right now? Start emulating Christ. Start imitating Christ. Start being more like Jesus. If you want to look at anybody's history, look at the history of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I can stop trying to read every self-help book known to man. Don't we do that? Every time somebody have a self-help book, we order it. Oh, I got to get that on my Kindle. Got to get that on Amazon. Got to order that self-help book. You don't need that. All you need to do is turn to an unchanging Savior that created man. It's a blessing. That we can take the sometimes mess of our lives straight to the manufacturer. Because the manufacturer has a history upon which I can depend. We can trust the history of Jesus Christ. Come on, give God some praise for that. That's right. We can trust it. Now, so the second The second chronological point that this author makes in verse 8 is this. He says says that he's the same today. So Jesus the same now means that he is active in his creation. Look at your neighbor and say he's active. He's active. Active. I mean, the author of Hebrews does not simply identify Jesus as the same in the past, but he writes of his present sameness. He does not change in the past, nor does he change in the present. Now, why is that important to us? The fact that Jesus is the same in our present circumstances and world is important because it suggests that no matter What we see in the world, our Savior is sovereignly in charge of all things. He is active, holding this world together. 
if you think things are bad now, imagine what they would be if God, if Christ took his hands off the world. So Paul writes of this sovereignty in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16 and 17, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, verse 17 is what I want you to get. And he is before all things, which meaning he has this past sameness. And in him, meaning right now, all things hold together. When you think the bottom has dropped out of your life, let me tell you that you're still standing because Christ is holding everything together. We have an immutable sovereign Lord that not only observe all things, but truly holds all things together. The sameness of Jesus means that he is active today, as active today in creation as he was when he said, let there be and there was. This sovereignty provides assurance for us as believers in him. Jesus assures us by his immutable nature that no matter what trials befall us in this present darkness, that he is still in control. Look at somebody and tell him he's still in control. He assures us and we walk in this assurance. And I love what the songwriter said about this assurance that even in a dark world, he wrote these words, be not dismayed. Whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you through every day. I wish I had some witnesses here. All over the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Because he's the same today. He will take care of his children just as he did on yesterday. On yesterday, he brought Israel across the Red Sea. On today, he is a bridge over troubled waters. On yesterday, he rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. On today, he protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked one. On yesterday, he preserved the life of Paul as they stoned him for preaching the gospel. On today, he protects us from the stones thrown at us by those who don't believe. I'm so glad he's the same today. On yesterday, he rescued Peter from sinking in the waters of the Sea of Galilee. On today, he rescues us who were sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, so deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master, mm, I wish I had somebody, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. It was love. Is there anybody here that knows it was love? It was love that lifted me. Oh, I almost got happy right there. On yesterday, I had trials. On today, 
He makes every day new. On yesterday, there were difficulties. On today, his mercies are brand new every morning. So I'm glad that he's the same today as he was yesterday. But we're not done with this chronological presentation. So now we've dealt with what he was yesterday, the same. What he is today, the same. But the writer's not finished. He says he's the same forever. Now, Jesus the same forever means a sure foundation for our future hope of eternal life. If you're really getting that, you'd be clapping right now. You'd be excited right now. If you, if you understood how him being the same forever secures your hope for eternal life, the author of Hebrew dares not close this transitional verse without speaking to the hope needed by this believing audience. He says that Jesus is the same forever. Some, look at somebody and say forever, forever. Aren't you glad Jesus is the same forever? Imagine a Jesus that is the same in the past, the same in the present, but somehow might not be the same in the future. Wouldn't that impact our faith in a negative manner? How could I trust a God who might change in the future? Our faith in him rests upon the fact that he is the same forever. He's not just our father in the past. He's not just our father in the present. But thanks be to God, he's our father forever. We need sure knowledge that not only was he the same, not only is the same right now, but that he will always be the same Jesus. This is critical to our worship and praise. In fact, looking back to verse 8, The author writes in verse 15 of this passage, look at what he says. He says, through him, then let us, look at that word, continually. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now watch this. That means that your praise can't be quiet. Now you understand why some of us get a little excited. Now you understand why some of us can't hold back. And every time they mention the name Jesus, we get excited. You talking about my Lord. I'm going to have to give him some praise. Excuse me while I shout for a minute. That's, you got to understand what, because I praise comes from the fruit of our lips. Shouldn't nobody have to cheerlead your faith? I shouldn't have to stand up here with some pom-poms and a cheerleading outfit, talking about rah-rah, come on, trust Jesus. You ought to get excited. Why are you getting ready to come to the house of the Lord? See, see, you ought not have to put on Pandora Christian music to get excited. But there ought to be a song that you carry in your heart. And it might go something like this. Every time I think about Jesus, I feel a dance coming on. Every time I think about him, when I think about the Lord and all he's done for me, I just want to dance. 
the fruit of your lips. Because he's the same in the past, the present, and especially forever. We can offer up, continually offer up this sacrifice of praise. Because he's the same forever. We can confidently praise him and declare the truth of his gospel. His sameness forever means that generations yet unborn will get to know the same Savior we know. Because we had the audacity to preach the gospel. We didn't tell them about our church. We told them about Jesus. We had the audacity to not say, come hear my preacher, but come meet my Lord. They will know this same Jesus as Savior because we kept on offering a sacrifice of praise over and over and over. When I get to yours, say something. And over and over and over and over again, the sacrifice of praise shall continually be in our mouths because he's the same always. We can always offer him praise. I like what Brother Jude wrote as he was getting ready to say goodbye on what is one of the shortest books, if not the shortest book in the whole Bible. Jews say, I don't have but one chapter. (laughs) Wish I had more, but that's all I have. And in that one chapter, he said, I got to talk about Jesus. And when he was getting ready to say goodbye, he had to think about what would let me tell my readers that I'm offering up a continual sacrifice of praise. What can I say at the end of my little one chapter that'll really tell people what all this whole thing is really about? And Jude sat down and the Holy Spirit got over him and he wrote these words now unto him. I wish I had somebody. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time right now and forever. Amen. 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 Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, now unto him. Stand on your feet all over the room. What a mighty God. 